0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Here we go. It is everyone's favorite time of the year. The NFL postseason is finally upon us after a very topsy-turvy NFL regular season. I know I'm really excited for the postseason this year. You know, it's It's a little bit added fun now that the league has added a a seventh team. Obviously, the AFC standings uh, took a bit of a shakeup with everything that happened with the Bills recently. Nevertheless, there's some really good matchups and some great money-making opportunities heading into Super Wildcard weekend. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to share my optimism and excitement. You know, we're coming off another solid week. Went 3-1 against the spread. We also nailed the the national championship game. We told you we l- really liked the over. It was going to be difficult one way or another. We thought at least TCU would show up. They had shown up all year, but we the the line was too scary because Georgia was so talented. But we loved the over. Nevertheless, Georgia covered the over all by themselves in a dump dump truck matchup, sixty five to seven. I mean that was that game was over by halftime. But it was nice to see that we hit. That one as well. We also finished off the regular season with our Back to the Future segment really nicely. We were able to hit our three-division parlay with the Bucks, Bengals, and Jaguars. So we made some money there on a futures bet. Got a couple futures bets that we've talked about down the stretch heading into the postseason, primarily out of the NFC. So there's still plenty of money to be made there as well. But I want to dive into the games Everyone loves taking a look at, at the lines in the NFL every weekend. And we get three full days, or at least three days, of wild card action this weekend. And it should be a ton of fun for all of us to take in. Let's start with Saturday's games. The early game San Francisco laying nine and a half at home to Seattle. You know, it's a divisional matchup. San Francisco won both meetings this year by blowout. Uh, the second one in Seattle. Seahawks had a backdoor cover. They were getting crushed for most of the game. It was on a Thursday night. It was 21-3. They scored uh, 10 points late to cover the line. Week two, they got beat down pretty handily, 27-7. to And I know that some people who might like Seattle side of this line will point to the facts or the old saying, well, it's difficult to beat the same team three times. Well, the facts actually say otherwise. There have been 23 instances since the 1970 merger that a team went for a three game sweep with a third game being in the playoffs. The team that won those first two games is 14 and nine overall, but more importantly, they're 10 and five over the last 15, uh, which we've seen it a lot more. Those 15 have all come this century. And, Outside of last year, the Rams had lost both games to the Niners and then beat them. But it's not like the Niners shouldn't have won that game. I mean, they led pretty much the entire game. But I think those stats alone can disprove that entire theory that over the last 20 plus years, teams going for that three game sweep have won two-thirds of the games. So I don't want to hear this. It's difficult to beat a three team three times. Uh both games this year, Seattle has been unable to run the football. And conversely, the Niners have run it very, very well. And another piece of news, and it's always important It's part of the reason why late in the season we've been doing the show later in the week, knowing the up-to-date injury news is so vital. And I'm really glad with a lot of these games, especially the later Saturday game that we're going to get to shortly, that we wait on this stuff. So the Niners might have all 22 of their starters healthy and active this week. Dre Greenlaw finally got back to practice. He's the only starter that didn't play last week. Meanwhile, Seahawks lost. Uh, Jordan Brooks had to place him on IR. So that's certainly not not ideal. The offense looks good. You know, we'll, we don't know if Lockett is really fully healthy, but overall, the offense looks like it's in pretty good shape. But you know. On paper, this should be a one-sided matchup. Even Pete Carroll said on Tuesday when he was thanking the Lions for them beating the Packers to let the Seahawks in, he's like, well, but now we got to go face that Niners team. They're on a roll. They're healthy. Even he knows this is going to be a very uphill fight. And I'm sure that was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. And obviously he's telling his team something different in the locker room than what he told the press on Tuesday. But it's very, very difficult to to find many reasons why Seattle will hang in this game but the Lund- the over under sitting at 43 and a half 42 and a half it's it's been in that range almost everywhere you go i i do envision there being a lot of uh potential turnovers it's going to be sloppy they're expecting a torrential downpour for much of this game and one you got to figure that lends itself toward the Niners who run the ball more effectively and also stop the run more effectively. Um, But also, it's probably going to take away any passing games, any a lot of big plays in the passing game in limit points. So the under of the four angles you could look at this game might be the safest one. I do think that Pete Carroll will have his guys ready to play. And Kenneth Walker has been really, really good the last month and change so i don't think seattle is going to be completely shut down on the ground because he is a game-breaking type back but it's still difficult to take seattle here on the road when just talent alone this game shouldn't be close but the under i feel like there's some pretty decent value there all right let's move to the later of the saturday games the chargers are traveling to jacksonville laying two and a half over under sitting at 47 and a half. Now, I think a a lot of people coming into this week, you look at, well, on paper, the the Chargers certainly, you know, are by far more talented. It's part of the reason why they're favored, despite the fact that they're going on the road in this game. Uh, But there's a lot of reasons to really like the Jags here. So Trevor Lawrence, he's been playing exceptional football down the stretch last five, six weeks. Been playing really, really well. These teams met back in week three in Los Angeles and the Jags won 38 to 10. They ran all over them. That was back when they still had James Robinson who was starting actually back then. He and ETN rushed for 145 yards. Meanwhile, Eckler had five yards on four carries. And if you remember early this season, they weren't really feeding Eckler a whole lot, at least on the ground. He was still catching passes. He caught eight passes in that game for 48 yards And I envision a similar uh, type level production out of Eckler in the passing game in this one. But obviously, the big, big news coming into this, this morning, Mike Williams was ruled out. As it turns out, he has a fracture in his back, a non-surgical fracture, but a fracture nonetheless. And so he's been ruled out for this week and likely for the foreseeable future if they do indeed win this game. And that is massive. If you look at Justin Herbert's production this year with and without Mike Williams, it's pretty stark. When he has Mike Williams in the lineup, his QBR is that of Josh Allen's. It's like 96.6, I believe. However, when he doesn't have Mike Williams this year, it drops all the way down to Teddy Bridgewater and Jacoby Brissett territory. So clearly having that, big athletic receiver on the outside that has opened up so much of the offense for Herbert and allows guys like Keenan Allen and Gerald Everett to eat over the middle. So that's a big problem. The fact that they don't have him and Brandon Staley has been getting crushed in the media because they knew by kickoff last week that that game was meaningless. They were going to be playing in Jacksonville this weekend. It was already known when they kicked off their week 18 game against the Broncos. Yet he decided to roll his starters out there, including his injury prone wide receivers. And lo and behold, the receiver who is most injury prone and has had back problems in the past suffers a back fracture on what appeared to be, you know, an innocent regular looking hit. And so, you know, amazingly too, Staley still kept his starters, in the game well beyond that justin herbert was still playing midway through the fourth quarter as were most of the starters on both offense and defense and it was really astounding to see because staley he's been of the mindset he doesn't play his players in the preseason he's one of those guys similar to mcveigh it's like hey it's meaningless why am i going to put them out there and risk their injury well you can at least make make some case that there's a reason to have guys out in the preseason there was no reason to have him playing in that game and here we are Chargers are now without one of their most important players on offense. That's gonna make things really, really difficult on the road. And now don't get me wrong, the, the the Jaguars defense is beatable. And I do think that the that the the Chargers will still move the ball and probably score some some points in this game. Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to go against the Jags in this spot. It was already difficult coming in, knowing the way they were playing. It's incredibly difficult to go against them with the Mike Williams news. But a lot of times we see that galvanize other teams. So of of the six games on the board this weekend, this is the one I am least confident in. I am staying away. And I suggest you do the same because maybe if you can tease the Jags, I actually made that bet uh, early this morning. I teased the Jags to plus eight and a half with a couple other things. And so I think if you can you know influence the line you might be able to create some value based on the knowledge that we have of that game but with the line sitting where it is I could still see the Chargers winning this game because at the end of the day the Jaguars aren't that good of a football team they beat a they won a terrible division their defense is not that great um and Justin Herbert and the Chargers especially on defense are healthy right now so they they're still going to find a way to score points in this game I guess, similar to the last game, the under, there might be some value. Charger games, I think they've gone under seven in the last nine. Everyone just thinks this high-flying offense because they have Justin Herbert. But most of their games have been going under. So you might want to go that way. Now we're going to move on to Sunday's games in what should be, you know, the first game of the day, the Bills giving 13.5 to their division rival, the Miami Dolphins, over under at 46.5. You know, the line opened at nine and a half initially. And that was when Tua, if we no one knew if Tua was going to play, it was quite obvious to me there was no way Miami could possibly put him out there. They would be vilified. And so I jumped on this line when it was at nine and a half. And I was so glad when I did because a day later, news comes out, Tua is ruled out, line skyrockets up to 13 and a half. Now, I mean, even at 13 and a half, I still like the bills to cover. I just don't know with Skylar Thompson, how the dolphins are going to score touchdowns. They might still move the ball at times, but they are missing seven starters potentially in this game on the road in Buffalo. There's rumors that DeMar Hamlin might lead the bills out of the locker room in this game. So they're going to have the emotional advantage. They obviously have the talent advantage, uh, Uh, Raheem Mostert, the Dolphins starting running back, didn't practice all week. He's unlikely to play. So that hurts the depth of Miami in order to run the football. And we've seen in recent weeks you can run the ball on the Bills, but the Dolphins are down. They're down their starting left tackle, their backup left tackle, their starting right tackle. Uh, None of those guys are playing. So their offensive line is decimated. Their running back. You know, they're down there starting running back. They're down there starting quarterback. They're down there backup quarterback. They're down a couple defensive starters. So knowing all of all of those things at play, it's really, really difficult to see a way that Miami hangs in this game. Um, and then obviously the bills, they're going to win this game more than likely. They're 12. zero when Jordan Poirier plays this season. He's obviously finally healthy and he's going to play again. And. You can't read into the fact that the Dolphins defense played well against the Jets last week. I mean, it was the Jets. Everyone kind of saw that coming. Uh, so this is one spot where it's a big line. Hopefully you were like me and you jumped on it at nine and a half. But even if not, I'd still lay the 13 and a half. I'm confident the Bills win this game 30 to something to something below 20. It's it's more. It feels like a 35-13 a type game. In the afternoon game on Sunday, we have what might be the most fun game to watch this weekend. The Minnesota Vikings at home, given three to the New York Giants. So these two teams, you know, as I'm sure you guys are noticing a trend here, it's six rematches, all six games this weekend. The teams met at least once this year, the Vikings and the Giants, they met three weeks ago in what was a really good football game. And, in Viking style, they won on a field goal with two minutes left. Uh, it was one of their many uh, one-score victories. But it, it's it's so rare, and it's amazing that we have two teams facing off in the playoffs, and both of them had negative point differentials. The Vikings, who won 12 games, had a negative, or excuse me, 13 games, had a negative point differential. Um, that speaks volumes, and I think we all know that they're not nearly as good as their record. But there is something to be said for being able to close out games. So when they met a couple weeks ago, the Vikings struggled to move the football on the ground against an inconsistent but talented Giants defense. Meanwhile, Saquon actually had a pretty decent day, ran for 85 yards and a score on only 14 carries. So he was ripping off nice chunk gains occasionally. Um but that that giant secondary, which is prone to giving up some plays, allowed Justin Jefferson and T j Hawkinson to go off. They combined for twenty five catches, two hundred and forty yards and three scores. But when you look a little bit deeper into that game, the Giants had nearly a hundred more total yards, averaged almost two more yards per per play. The primary reason they lost that game they lost the turnover battle to nothing um and not only did they lose the turnover battle to nothing but they also had a punt blocked in the fourth quarter when they were trailing 17 16 that led to a short field touchdown that put him in an eight-point hole late in the game nevertheless the Giants still found a way to come back to tie it Minnesota drives down kicks the game-winning field goal Um, but there's plenty of reasons to see why the Giants should feel very very confident in this game Kirk Cousins one and three in the playoffs all time 0 two at home, but both of those were back in Washington. So it's hard to really put too much stock into that. Uh his only win, though, in the playoffs was that miracle in Minneapolis game against the Saints. So his only win was literally the the most unlikely victory on like a final play in NFL history. You know, it was basically a Hail Mary type play from their own 25 yard line with five seconds left. Um that, that has never happened before. It will probably never happen again. Um, So again, lots of reasons to like the Giants, but it's still, I mean, how, how, how confident can you really feel putting your hard-earned money on Daniel Jones to go on the road and win a playoff game? He's never been to the playoffs before. First time playoff starters tend not to do very well. You know, the Giants haven't been there since 2016. Um, If anything, I really like the over here. So it was 27, 24 in the first game. The over-under in this one's 48-and-a-half. So that one went over. And the Vikings' defense, which midway through the season, they looked decent. By the end of the season, they were atrocious. I mean, the Colts dropped 33 points on them in a half. Uh, The Colts, yeah. The Colts dropped 33 on them in a half of football. Uh, So we know that that secondary is beatable and Richie James and company have actually been making plays. Daniel Jones uses his legs very effectively. Saquon should run the ball pretty well here. So I think the giants are going to find the end zone a few times. And I know Minnesota is going to score points. So this is maybe the hardest game to predict who wins this. And maybe that Jags chargers. It might be the most difficult one to predict who wins, but it's easy to see a lot of scenarios where there's plenty of points scored. So this is one where if I'm going one way, I'm taking the over 48 and a half. Sunday night, we get the Bengals at home, laying eight and a half to the Baltimore Ravens over under sitting at 42 and a half. So these two teams also played twice this year, being in the AFC North since he won last week, 27, 16. Um, And Lamar Jackson was ruled out earlier on Friday. We kind of knew that he wasn't going to play all week. He didn't practice. You know, one thing that was kind of crazy, Sammy Watkins, the newly signed Ravens wide receiver, spoke to the media this morning and basically hinted at the contract situation being the reason why Lamar Jackson isn't playing and not his health. And if you read between the lines on Harbaugh's uh, press pressers over the last day or two, there might be some truth to that, at least from Baltimore's perspective, and it's it's beginning to look more and more like it's going to get, get contentious between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson this offseason. If any of that's true, you got to wonder where the headspace is for a lot of Ravens players, but they are by no means you know, out of this game. Even with Tyler Huntley as their quarterback, last week, they didn't play Mark Andrews. They didn't play J.K. Dobbins. They didn't play a number of key guys, and they didn't put anything on tape for the Bengals to look at. Meanwhile, the, the Bengals, they had a ton to play for. At that point, they were trying to play to make sure that they didn't have a coin flip in this game to determine where it was going to be played. They knew they had to win this game, that game last week. In um, the Ravens, you can argue over the last two months have been the best defense in the NFL, certainly the best against the run. Um, and even last week, Mixon couldn't move the ball at all on the ground. Cincinnati's offensive line is banged up. Um, Baltimore finished third in the NFL in rush defense, allowing 92 a game, but it was much less than that over the second half of the season. Now, don't get me wrong. Cincinnati's defense is nothing to sneeze at either. They're a top 10 defense. Uh, they finished sixth in the NFL in points allowed at 20.1. Um, so, like, I- I'm I'm not knocking Cincinnati at all, and I do think they're a much better football team, especially since the Ravens won't have Lamar Jackson. But Jarn Hawbaugh, excuse me, John Harbaugh has the most road wins of any NFL head coach in history. He's won eight road playoff games. So I I fully expect Baltimore to play very, very physical. This is going to be a close game. They also have the one kicker that's been extremely reliable whenever you really need him. And Justin Tucker. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, McPherson for the Bengals, you know, a hero of last year's postseason has struggled a bit lately. I got to believe the Ravens getting eight and a half in this spot. I, I really like them there. Um, and it's not a bad spot as well to maybe parlay with the under. Cause I think both teams are going to struggle to get into the end zone in this game. And finally, we're going to move on to Monday night, which this should be a lot of fun for everyone, whether you're a Dallas Cowboy lover, Cowboy hater, Tom Brady fan or someone that hates Brady. I mean, really, I feel like the Cowboys and Tom Brady are the most loved and most hated subjects in the league. And now you get both of them going at it in a playoff game. And, you know, the Cowboys, it's been over a quarter century now since they've won a Super Bowl, only won, I think, two playoff games during that entire time. So it's hard to really believe that they're going to do very much. Especially after the dump they took on the field last week, which admittedly it cost me some money, and I was really angry about that because I had played a number of uh, money line parlays and teasers with them, and hit every other game, and they cost me on every one of them, and it really really annoyed me. Uh, I, I don't, I did not see that performance coming, and it does concern me because then when you look deeper into the Cowboys' problems, you know Dak Prescott, who led the NFL in interceptions this year, and remember. He missed almost a month and he led the NFL interceptions. He's thrown a pick in seven straight games, eight of the last nine and has thrown, I think like 10 or 11 of them during that time. So he's turning the ball over against a defense that can turn you over on the road uh, and the box, their offense, the last couple of games they've actually come to life, you know, two weeks ago against a very good Carolina secondary, Mike Evans and Brady finally got on the same page and had that monster game. And even last week, Brady only played a little less than the first half before they benched all their starters, and he was 13-17. to 17. So, you know, the offense, I think, is looking a little bit better, and they're getting two and a half at home in this spot. And I think a lot of people, I know the Sharks have been all over the Bucks this week, um, and the general public has been leaning toward the Cowboys. I'm going with the Sharks here. I, I like the Bucs at home until Dallas can show up in a playoff game. I'm not putting my money on it that that's going to happen. If this game is close late, who do you trust to make the play, Dak or Tom Brady? I mean, as as abysmal of a season as the Bucs have had, how many times did we see at the end of the game, the Rams game, the Seahawks game, there was three or four of them. Uh, That Monday night game when they were down by 13 with like two and a half minutes to go, and they won. I mean, I don't know how many times we still see that when the game is really tight, Brady still is making plays. And in the fourth quarter of this year, he has 13 TDs to three picks. Uh, so he's, he's playing really well when it matters most. So if I have to go away and this, this game also should be a ton of fun to watch. There's a lot of talent on the field. Dallas is talking about, this is going to be our big game, our statement game. Micah Parsons saying this is where I'm going to play my best This is where legends are made. All this talk. Well, I mean, I've been watching that Dallas defense and over the last, six weeks or so, they've looked atrocious. It wasn't just Washington. A number of bad NFL quarterbacks have been carving them up. Teams are running the ball down their throat. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bucs can't run the football. So I don't think Tampa Bay all of a sudden is just going to run for a buck 50 or we're going to get Lenny from two years ago. That's probably not going to happen. This game's going to be low scoring. The over-under sitting at 45 and a half is way too high. It was 19-3 to when these teams met earlier this year. It's not going to be as lopsided, but I think we're looking at a 20 to 17 game this time. I think we're going to see plenty of field goals, not very many touchdowns. Give me the bucks and the under. Um, That's not a bad spot, also, for you to parlay. All right. As we transition into the weekly segment of Kendall's Corner, um, you know, as usual, and this is probably the last week that we can do this. So we're 10 and 5 this year on our money line parlays. Like I referenced, the Cowboys screwed me last week. I should have been eleven and four to finish the season. Nevertheless, ten and five—you hit two thirds of them, and every one of them goes off at at least even money. The vast majority you're getting close to two to one, so we almost triple our money on those money line parlay bets this year. And this week, we're a little bit lucky because normally when you get in the playoffs, it's tough to find value in money line parlays. But this week, that's not the case because we have three games that we kind of know who should win the game. We know that uh, San Francisco is a heavy favorite and they're a heavy favorite for a reason. We know that the Bills are a massive favorite and a massive favorite for a reason. And the same thing goes for the Bengals. Now, the Bengals one's a little tricky because Harbaugh, the experience, like the things that I talked about. And I do think the Ravens are a live dog and I love them to cover that line. But if it with the purposes of this Moneyline parlay, I'm still betting that the Bengals will win the game. I just think it will be very close. So if you put those three together, you get a little better than even money. It's not bad considering you know the first two are almost locks to win their game. Um so you you put those three together, make a little cash because again, once we get to the divisional round, anyone can win any of those games in in this being able to take advantage Of Vegas via Moneyline parlays is going to be out the window. So this is probably the last weekend that we can do this. So let's jump on it together. Let's make some money and then I'll see you all here next week. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.